Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Witchick. Hi, Carol. Thanks for being here and welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Hi, Leah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, I'm very glad to have you here today. And we should share with our listeners that we know each other very well as you are my mom. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) I think it's kind of unique that we're doing this together. I think so. So I'm very excited to have you here and do this. Now, Carol, you've had an extensive career in healthcare. Maybe share a little bit about what you've done. Sure, I would be happy to. And uh, I have to say at the outset, I've been most fortunate to have had a wonderful and diverse career. Uh, If I was to play back to the beginning, I would never have believed the kinds of opportunities I've had and uh, the experiences that have just really shaped who I am and uh, also provided me with a very rich, rich experience throughout the years. To uh, start, uh, I uh, did a Bachelor of Nursing, and uh, this was in Calgary, at the University of Calgary, and uh, moved into a position up north in uh, northern Alberta. Uh, This was uh, an opportunity to work in nursing stations across northern Alberta, and something that I had never contemplated before, but decided that I would take uh, the step into a new experience. It was a phenomenal experience, very challenging, uh, required a lot of uh, new experiences for me, as well as a lot of uh, interesting dynamics that happened in different communities across the northern part of the province. Uh, I I have to also say that uh, at this time, it was a challenge to my experience because I was a new graduate and the kind of skills that were required of me was to actually provide services for treatment as well as any health care that would be supportive to the communities that I was serving. There was no physician support other than on a telephone and from time to time some visits that may happen during the months uh, of the year. Uh, This required me to do suturing, prescribe medication, uh, actually do dental care. I also had to provide uh, treatment and suturing for dogs, cats, horses, uh, uh, all the kinds of things that happen when you are the only healthcare provider in the communities. Uh, It, at the same time, was very, very rich. I met a lot of very unique individuals, mostly uh, mission personnel, people who were coming from different kinds of uh, missions across the world who would want to serve in northern communities in Alberta, as well as teachers and other visiting personnel, such as forestry and fire uh, department officials and so on. Uh, So that experience provided me with an opportunity to really step into new and different kinds of things that I would not have ever, ever imagined. I don't know why I didn't imagine those, but uh, it required lots of new and diverse skills. I moved on from there to a position in Fort McMurray. This was a time now, you must think back to the uh, late 70s, early 80s, when Fort McMurray in northern Alberta was just opening up with uh, oil expansion to a community that was at that time only about 1,200 people and grew over the next two or three years to in excess of five or 6,000 people. Again, the experiences were phenomenal. It required me to provide public health services to uh, Fort McMurray as a town, but visit the outlying oil exploration camps and to also fly into uh, indigenous health communities that surround Fort McMurray. I remember at this time, this is when where there were no roads uh, in uh, the communities that surrounded McMurray and people had to fly in and out to uh, obtain not only services in a town but also their health care. 
this was very, very exciting, but it was also extremely challenging. Uh, there was a time when the rapid growth of the town required a lot of moving new staff, bringing on new staff, uh, expanding services. Uh, it also was a time where there were significant challenges related to substance abuse, uh, addictions, violence, and uh, the amount of money that was flowing through this community was staggering and people had money to spend and not a lot of places to go. And so it did contribute to a very, very high uh, toxic environment in many uh, instances. I then moved very differently to a role as a supervisor in the Banff National Park, uh, and that was a supervisor of the health unit. Uh, this was to provide public health services in the community of Banff and Banff National Park, as well as to uh, provide uh, uh, support to some of the tourist industries who were having transient workers come through. As we know, Banff is the most popular park in Canada. So it grew from about a thousand people in the population to over a million over a summer time. So lots and lots of issues with transiency, alcoholism, other substance abuse, uh, sexually transmitted uh, uh, conditions, as well as other issues with uh, young people who were lonely and away from home. So it was very diverse and very challenging experience, um, but also gave me a, uh, an insight into another domain of how community health nursing could, uh, could be effective in uh, a, a changing situation uh, with rapid uh, dynamics happening at different times as well as dealing with a political scenario working in a national park. From there, I was uh, uh, fortunate to move into Edmonton Board of Health. So I worked uh, with Edmonton Board of Health in a role of public health uh, supervisor opening one health center. So that was very unique around creating a new uh, health center in a setting that had a very diverse multi-ethnic population, getting that started, hiring the staff and uh, really bringing uh, the services to this new community. I had the opportunity to lead a very large public health center in the south part of Edmonton and uh, at the same time uh, chose to work with our public health staff and our community surrounding the, the health center to develop a program that would be supportive of seniors and uh, the elderly who lived in our community to become more active, to become more socially connected, and to connect with uh, healthcare services in a more productive and helpful way. Uh, this program was embraced by the community at large with a lot of our population volunteering their time to uh, lead fitness classes, to exercise programs, to walking programs, to visiting seniors at home, to connecting the community with those who have a lot of uh, service and a lot of ability to ma manage and live productively in a community with those that who were struggling with those challenges. From, from there, I moved into the provincial government and worked as a program development consultant. Uh, I was a direct employee, uh, but had the title of a consultant to implement uh, family planning, sexuality education programs across the province of Alberta. Uh, now, at this time, there were no services across Alberta. Uh, at that time, the services we know today did not exist. The opportunity created uh, for me to visit all communities in Alberta, work with nonprofit organizations, work with health authorities, and work with local governments to implement uh, services that uh, for the first time would be seen as very novel, politically sensitive. Uh, in some cases, uh, there was uh, opposition to the introduction of these services. And 
It involved a lot of very close stakeholder engagement, collaborative work with those who were moving forward to implement the programs, and also to deal with the opposition that was happening at that time due to, again, the political and, uh, in some cases, those who uh, opposed the, the intent of what was being provided. Birth control clinics and the family planning education services that we know today were implemented across Alberta during this time. Uh, These services have obviously expanded over the last uh, 20 years and are very commonplace and very well accepted and are really central to part of our healthcare today. But at that time, they were new, they were different and required a lot of uh, partnerships, a lot of work to uh, determine where and when the services should be implemented and how they would actually be be delivered. Uh, It was uh, a great experience. It uh, did require a lot of innovative thinking, as well as I would say the most important was developing collaborative relationships and supporting those to do the work they could do best in their communities. At the same time, I completed a Master's of Nursing degree at the University of Alberta. Following that, I moved, uh, I'm going to say back to Calgary because that's where my youth was uh, uh, in where I lived. And so I took on an associate director of nursing position with, at that time, the public health agency in Calgary, which was called Calgary Health Services. And my role as associate director of nursing uh, was to support the public health teams uh, in Calgary and to provide uh, the professional support around their practice, their standards, and their service delivery models. Uh, During this time, uh, we moved to a lot of reorganizational changes within Alberta. And this was the time where health authorities were being consolidated. And uh, in the time of a span of about five years, we went from 17 health authorities down to nine authorities. And of course, as we know now, 2008, we moved to one health authority. But during the time of consolidation, uh, there was a number of restructuring of roles. And I took on a new role, which included a lot of other community health services, including public health, and was part of the expansion of Calgary Health Region's boundaries to encompass other health authorities. And during this time, I was also uh, seconded to integrate three other health authorities into the Calgary Health Region. Following that, uh, and part of that time, uh, I was then uh, uh, asked to take on a major acute care portfolio within the Calgary Health Region and surrounding area. And this was a very significant change for me. As I have shared with you, most of my experience to date had been in the community health sector, and this was the first time placing me in a leadership role with hospital services. And because Calgary Health Region uh, was regionalized and that meant that programs and services covered all of the acute care or hospital services and community and long-term care and Indigenous health services, uh, the portfolios, as we called them, uh, spanned all of those areas for each of the senior leadership positions. So my role encompassed uh, a lot of programs such as internal medicine or the Department of Medicine for all of the uh, major hospitals in Calgary, as well as infection control and uh, chronic disease management and primary care and a lot of the other supporting services that help us to provide comprehensive health care. So this was very different, as I mentioned. Uh, It was also challenging because I had a steep learning curve, as well as challenging to develop and build my credibility in a huge arena for which I had not been exposed to uh, in the past. The other parts of this role included 
doing capital or, or supporting capital projects. And capital projects are where we look at buildings, creating new facilities, retrofitting other facilities. And this uh, was most interesting to me. I had not really provided that kind of leadership before. And uh, with teams that were very, very capable and, uh, you know, knew the how to build health facilities and how to manage projects and all that sort of thing, it created uh, for me uh, the, the wonderful experience of working in partnership with all kinds of industries. And the kinds of roles that I had uh, in what I'm going to call the capital project uh, domain, including creating a, a new urgent care center, which had never been developed uh, in North America uh, before. It had also including changing an old children's hospital uh, into an ambulatory or outpatient care facility. Uh, it also included um, making sure that uh, new uh, buildings such as the Faculty of Medicine in partnership with Alberta Health Services at that time and the University of Calgary would come on. Uh, time would be supportive of outpatient medical clinics and so on. So uh, lots and lots of different kinds of capital projects, two uh, that uh, um, were very novel and very different was a community health center in a community called Airdrie. It was the first time where a health center would have all disciplines such as social services, public health, as well as nonprofits in one facility. Again, this is commonplace today. It was brand new. Uh, it had not been done before. And again, there were some significant uh, hurdles along the way as the community tried to embrace what this new model would look like. One of the things I haven't mentioned but have been integral to my role all through my career is the area of Aboriginal or now we call Indigenous health. And that has been a particular interest of mine. It obviously began when I worked up north in northern Alberta, working in Indigenous health communities, uh, mostly Cree uh, nations in northern Alberta, but has remained to be a core component of the work that I have done for all of my career. And for which I found a great reward and uh, uh, just a phenomenal experience and the diverse ethnic and uh, cultural aspects of uh, working with Indigenous communities. From uh, this particular role that I've shared, which has lots and lots of pieces to it, uh, there were some other reorganizational changes where I moved in back into population and public health uh, in a vice president role. And uh, uh, this time was now leading population and public health for the province of Alberta. With population and public health and my leadership role, uh, it uh, reconnected me back to all of the communities across Alberta, as well as the Indigenous communities uh, was for Alberta were part of my portfolio. So that uh, involved connecting and working closely with uh, Health Canada and also with other organizations across uh, Alberta, particularly nonprofits. Following uh, my role with uh, population and public health, I uh, decided to retire and uh, left Alberta Health Services in 2011. And uh, from from there, have uh, moved into uh, a new a new opportunities that has uh, been the last six or seven years working in conjunction with Leah, my daughter, in our business uh, for coaching and leadership development. And that again has uh, challenged me in new and different ways, uh, but it has been extremely rewarding. And uh, currently, I continue to do that work. You've had a very interesting career, one that I think has been unique and full of really diverse experiences. I want to jump back for a moment to your time in Northern Alberta working with First Nation communities, because I think that's something that many people don't get to experience. What would maybe be a memorable story or experience that you could share with us about your time there? 
a memorable story. There are many memorable stories of Northern Alberta. Uh, I uh, think one particular story uh, would be when I used to visit uh, Trout Lake, sometimes called Graham Lake, Trout Lake and Peerless Lake. And these communities are about an hour or two uh, from where I was working, which was near Slave Lake in Wabaska. And I had to fly in uh, to these communities in all kinds of weather and provide treatment and public health services. And the, the story that I'm going to share was a time where it was middle of winter, uh, taking a flight uh, uh, with uh, a plane that was equipped with skis to land on a lake, uh, which was Peerless Lake. Uh, and so we would land in the middle of the lake. And it always looks smooth when you look at a lake. It looks like everything is just all glassy. But when you're landing with skis, uh, it is all rough and bumpy and you are jolted and the plane is uh, torquing back and forth because actually the water, which has now frozen, has um, all these um, ridges and uh, holes and so on. Anyway, you land in the middle of the, the, the lake and then the skidoos and would come out uh, and we would unload the plane with boxes of uh, equipment, antibiotics, uh, other kinds of supplies. They would be loaded on sleds uh, that would be pulled by the uh, skidoos back to the shore. And we once we would get on shore, uh, would then have those delivered to a trailer. Uh, and it would be an echo trailer, so a metal uh, clinic trailer uh, where someone had... Um, uh, set the heat on, turned the power on by a generator. It was freezing cold because, of course, it hadn't been warmed up. Uh, you would get into clinic and realize that everything in your clinic room in the trailer was frozen. So all the supplies, all the medications were frozen since your last visit, which was 10 days ago. Uh, and so those all had to be thrown out, restocked again. It would take about two hours to warm up. So I would be working in my clinic with my coat on and my mitts and my hat. Uh, but then the doors would open and people would come and they would line up and provide treatment services. Uh, so again, suturing, antibiotics, uh, examinations to see what what is causing the concern for the individual. Uh, lots and lots of children with respiratory conditions, lots of adults unfortunately, who had been in uh, fights or had had injuries with power saws. Um, again, we're talking a community where there is no power other than generator. Uh, we're talking about no roads. We're talking about no TV. Only uh, communication is by radio and so on. So people did not have access to uh, hardly any services other than what they could for their own survival. Uh, and then providing whatever you could with whatever you had. And that was basically the, the way to operate. And uh, seeing them every couple of days um, uh, while I was there, making sure that uh, as I left, people were as strong as they could be with whatever resources that they had. Uh, it was very rewarding. It was also, as I mentioned, incredibly uh, uh, challenging because if you didn't have the equipment, if you didn't have the supplies, you did what you had to do. Uh, uh, the community embraced having healthcare. Uh, they were very supportive to their nurse, uh, very much valued. I um, would be part of having uh, lunch with the local school children when I was there. Uh, I would take a, a ride in their school bus. And when I mentioned the school bus, it's uh, a wooden container with a stove in the middle and a chimney and two benches and on skis in the winter and on wheels in the summer pulled by horses. Uh, and so you're in the dark and it's smoky and uh, off you go to the next place and visiting uh, families in teepees, visiting families in cabins where the smoke is so 
so strong, you can barely see, you can barely uh, speak uh, because the fire is in the middle of the room and the smoke just encompasses the whole room uh, where uh, a moose carcass is laying on the table uh, exposed. Uh, there's a lady uh, who is skinning uh, some animals. Uh, there are people that you don't even discover until you've been in the room an hour sitting around the room. And at this time, time you're doing a baby visit, you're checking the newborn or you're uh, providing some treatment. Uh, uh, and off you go again uh, on the skidoo or off you go again uh, on, on the wagon. Uh, so that's just one experience. Uh, um, very rich, very rewarding, very challenging, but full of adventure and full of incredible learning and meeting new people and uh, and just really doing whatever you can do the best that you can do. What an amazing experience. And I think that story really reflects the diversity of healthcare itself and the delivery of services. I think sometimes there's that perception that healthcare is just that pristine hospital full of high-tech equipment, and we sometimes forget about people living in very rural communities with few resources, and that our healthcare providers need to go into these communities and as you said, you do what you have to do. And I think that's really reflective of uh, a lot of courage to be able to be flexible and innovative under those circumstances. So I'm curious to hear what's been the most rewarding experience of your career. I have so many experiences that are rewarding. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, an experience uh, that is what I would consider the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. And uh, the experience I'm choosing is when I had a leadership role with the uh, 2009 H1N1 pandemic. And this experience uh, tested uh, my my capacity as a leader in so many different ways, but it also became one of the most rewarding in terms of accomplishments and also uh, working with teams that I would never have believed I would be working with. And now that we're in COVID-19 pandemic, it's reminiscent of some of the kinds of things that uh, I encountered. Obviously a different pandemic and the severity and the magnitude is significantly greater. Uh, But during 2009, uh, this was a time when I had a senior leadership role in population and public health. And when the pandemic emerged, it was in two waves in the spring of 2009 and then a second wave in the fall. And uh, in the spring, it was the emergence of Uh, H1N1 as a virus and challenging the population in ways that are different than COVID. COVID, as we hear, is really affecting those who are elderly and those particularly with chronic uh, underlying conditions, Uh, whereas H1N1 was really, really targeting uh, the youth, uh, young people, particularly 18 to 25, pregnant women, really a younger population. uh, So it was very stressful because we don't expect the younger population and those who are usually very healthy to be affected so dramatically. Uh, In the early days of the pandemic, it required working with uh, the Alberta government in a partnership. So the assistant deputy minister and myself were paired up to lead not only the operational part, which was the Alberta Health Services, and Alberta Health Services was only a year old or less than that at that point, and also the government uh, Alberta Health role. We uh, operated an emergency, we called it coordination center or emergency operations center out of Edmonton. And I basically lived in Edmonton for uh, six, seven, eight weeks uh, in a hotel working till 11 at night and uh, starting to uh, implement and respond to the early days of the pandemic. In H1N1, we did have the 
great asset of having a vaccine developed fairly quickly and available, but it did create some very, very different dynamics around that. Uh, I'm going to move actually to the fall because that's where the major uh, uh, impetus and the major challenges happened with H1N1. We saw H1N1 spreading quite dramatically. We did have a vaccine, but the vaccine supplies were in a limited amount. It also meant that there were all the challenges associated with how to manage when you have a limited supply. And the limited supplies and the challenges we're seeing in COVID were very similar what we experienced. So our early days, we had to find ventilators across the world. We had to find where there was inventory of ventilators. We had to get them brought to Calgary. We had to set up uh, satellite hospitals, if you will, or temporary hospital settings. We had to contemplate taking over uh, hotels for extra rooms for isolation or uh, having people you know, stay in those rooms to be isolated. Uh, we had to manage uh, people's demands for vaccine uh, and so on and so on. So very, very similar, albeit COVID does not have a vaccine, uh, but very similar in the kind of dynamics that were happening. Uh, it was interesting because it formed for us as a staff of a newly formed Alberta Health Services, province-wide health authority, a common purpose that drew people together. This was expressed over and over and over. If you can imagine 90,000 plus staff plus physicians plus other organizations that had come into one organization challenged with where did they belong what was their what were they used to how do they work together feeling loss of what they had before now focusing on a major crisis and pulling together in ways that none of us i'm sure could have done without this kind of crisis happening. It forced and encouraged and uh, gave people the reason why they came into healthcare. So as an example, we had respiratory therapists being flown from one community to another to provide additional ventilator support. That would not have happened in a pre provincial health services authority to the degree that we could attain that collaboration. We had supplies shifting all across the province. We had people stepping up in all different roles to saying, I will do this. I will go here. I will provide the services where before they would have probably said, this is my domain. This is where I belong. I don't actually go to other communities. Hard to imagine now, because in Alberta, there's 10 years at least uh, in to this health organization, and we are seeing the phenomenal cooperation and collaboration. It is just the way things work now, but it was not so then. The most challenging, of course, was dealing with media that were constantly uh, asking for more information, wanting to get accurate information, wanting to hear stories, uh, and also causing some challenges around some of the chaos that evolved due to limited vaccine. I'm going to just mention that because that caused for me and for our teams a sense of how people can be in a panic, can feel very, very pressured to obtain something that is in limited supply. Some of the behavior and some of the kinds of uh, events that happened were quite dramatic, uh, where people were desperate when they felt that there was not enough supply to go along. Uh, I mention this because it's going to be interesting when COVID-19, if there's a vaccine, um, what the distribution channels will be, how much the supply will be, and so on, whether or not some of that dynamic will occur again. Uh, 
Uh, the the leadership role was very stressful. It was very time consuming, as you can imagine. There was a high degree of fatigue. There was a high degree of pressure due to uh, the government and some of the political aspects wanting certain things to happen at certain times, uh, because that is what the political leaders might have wanted for the population in tandem with how do we, uh, as we call today, um, consider the science, consider the resources and consider the priorities. Uh, People's tensions were high. Uh, Not everybody got along with everybody when they were very tired and when the stresses were high. And my role in for most of my work was to pull teams together, work with them, support them when people were stressed, when people were breaking down, uh, keeping calm, keeping our clarity of where we're going and keeping the relations open and positive. Uh, It was not easy. It was uh, very stressful. It tested every single part of what I knew in my career, but I also relied on the incredible support and the incredible leadership and the incredible skill of professionals all across the province and across Canada. Uh, so none of this, none of these roles ever are done by ourselves. Uh, they require on that significant support. So I'm going to say it was one of the most challenging, but it was also one of the most rewarding in my career. What's so interesting about that story are all those parallels between H1N1 and COVID-19. I found your comments on people's reactions when the vaccine was in limited supply to be quite interesting. And I think it really speaks to the power of panic. People's behavior shifts when they are in those panicked states. So you and I have talked a lot about courageous leadership, and I heard a lot of courage in that story from yourself and from so many others during H1N1. So maybe share with us a little bit about what is courageous leadership and what does it mean to you? Good question. Interesting question. Uh, uh, for me, uh, courage in, in leadership is, is really about taking action in the face of significant challenges. and. Uh, these challenges could include factors such as dealing with opposition, setbacks, uh, and I'm going to say outright attacks on your decisions, uh, not knowing if your next decision or action will be the right one, uh, doubts about the ability to continue. Can I keep doing this? Am I the right person for this? Uh, you know, compounding stress fatigue, and so on. Um, But the courage is the ability to see the opportunity and what is possible and actually take the step and journey to to move toward this. Uh, So when everything says, this is crazy, you can't do it, I don't know if this is the right thing, it's going to be hard, it's going to be... uh, likely opposed. It's going to be uh, very much uh, 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 pulling on every emotional uh, component of, of, of me. It's saying, yes, I'll continue to do it. I will do it. I can do it. I think that's a really great description of courageous leadership. Now, you mentioned that one of the things you encountered was uh, attacks on your decisions. So I'm curious to know, is there a story that you could share about that? Yeah, one of the the ones that I remember is during the time of uh, setting up the uh, urgent care community health center in downtown Calgary, uh, which meant that uh, ambulances could bring patients to the center be seen, triaged, and then either treated or moved on to a hospital. And I remember the opposition from the emergency services because this was different. This was very, very different. Uh, Emergency services, you bring somebody in ambulance to hospital and so on. So there was a lot of concern about 
well, people will die and maybe they won't get the right treatment and so on. And at that time, I was chairing a committee of all stakeholders in the city of Calgary, including emergency services and um, some of the other leaders, um, as well as the Department of Family Medicine and other physician departments. We're part of how are we going to do this and, and how will it work? But the outright attacks, uh, I remember one senior leader uh, standing right in front of me within four inches of my face and said, I will see you shut down within hours of you opening. You will fail. This is the wrong decision. And I will have never forgotten that because it was so (laughs) blatant in my face, but it was so strong and it was so um, the anger behind that individual was just clear as anything. Uh, I think about that when I go into the urgent care center as we know it today and I think yes that happened (laughs) but we are where we are today and it's because we continued. Wow what a challenging situation I imagine that was. So what did you have to do to find your courage in response to that individual? I would say, uh, building on my experience, uh, by this time I'd been in many, many different roles. I also had uh, been, uh, you know, I had taken on roles to uh, develop new programs and new uh, services along the way I had encountered these kinds of setbacks and so on. The other part is knowing that there are good people around you. There are people who know what they're doing. There are people who have the expertise. But the other is, you know, you know what? we're going ahead we're going ahead and uh i believe this is the right decision and i believe and i have the team that will do this and i am confident uh, we will succeed we don't know what will happen we actually don't know what will happen it's brand new but i believe we will be okay i think that story really illustrates that In order to make progress and to innovate, you sometimes have to take a leap. And part of leadership is having the confidence in yourself and your team to make that leap and to know that you can make it work. In light of all the opposition you experienced, I suspect that many others have experienced that level of opposition as well. So I'm wondering what you think is necessary for healthcare professionals to find their courage. What do they need to do? And maybe what are some of the barriers? I would say, first of all, is our own limiting beliefs. And because uh, I do coaching and leadership development with a lot of uh, leaders, uh, this is often one of the most common barrier or challenge to confidence or finding courage. And, you know, that is, you know, I can't do this. This is not me. Uh, uh, You know, I I will fail. Uh, I've never done this before. (laughs) You know, all those kinds of things. Uh, The other is when you face the naysayers, those people who say, you can't do that. You will never do this. You will fail. Uh, and you know, people are quite open about saying those kinds of things, which I find quite interesting. It's not helpful, uh, but it, it, uh, means that, you know, you need to kind of rise above that and think about, well, what have I done in the past? What actually have I done? What have been the successes? What is so different about this? Uh, where can we learn more? Who can I draw upon and once one of those things that where I always say to people but I also for myself there's always people you can ask for help and don't be able you know afraid to ask for help it's uh, key to again our learning but also being humble enough to say I need some support here I need some help it sounds like in these situations you were really aware of the need to ask for help and to also draw on your past experience What else did you have to do to support yourself? I think a key aspect, and I haven't probably emphasized it enough, but it is truly a huge asset, and that is having good and experienced teams and people around you. 
and people who are willing to work with you and to support you. Uh, and so having the physician leadership um, that I had beside me, uh, not only in working with me personally, but also working in teams uh, was phenomenal. It was people who again, had a common purpose. We want to improve healthcare. We want to do things differently. We want to change the status quo, uh, not without challenges. And there are always people who don't agree with that. Uh, but for the most part, when people are pulled upon, I need your help, I need your support, uh, they step up. And I have been very, very fortunate because a lot of the uh, support I have had and the uh, partnerships I've had are people who are willing and able, and they believe that this is something that they want to be a part of as well. Right. So they believe in that common cause or that common purpose. Yes. What's maybe a story you would share of a moment where you've had to find your own courage and draw on that? A story I would share was actually uh, moving into the acute care portfolio. And I have alluded to it earlier, but for me, this was one of the most um, challenging in terms of having courage to take this on. Uh, we had had a reorganization uh, again, and uh, we were to be placed in different roles. We didn't have a lot of opportunity to stay where we were going. And we, and I say we, so the leadership at that time, and I currently had a public health, population health role, uh, had to go through interviews with a panel of physician leaders and others. And uh, what happened out of that was I was invited to take on this acute care portfolio, which I mentioned before. Uh, and I was actually stunned because I, I couldn't believe that that would be something that would be offered to me uh, because I did not have that experience. Since I didn't have that experience, this does not make sense to me. And I actually was offered the position by our senior physician leader uh, in the parking lot, if you can imagine. Uh, would I take on a, a role? Would I consider it? And uh, I actually said, I don't believe this. I'm not sure you really know my resume. <laughs> uh, and uh, he said, yes, I know your resume. Uh, yes, I know what you've done. And we are looking for some change. We are looking for somebody who will build relationships across a hospital or acute care services into community. We need to have a different paradigm. We need to have a different sense of where we're going. Would you consider it? And I said, well, I'll consider it, but I really don't think I can do this. This is not me. And I remember going home and uh, talking in the mirror and saying, you've got to be crazy. You, you can't do this. You've never done this kind of role. All your positions have been in community. And, uh, you know, this is absolutely crazy. Uh, and then, interestingly enough, uh, over the 24 hours, uh, I kept saying to myself, I'm going to do it. And then I would say, no, you can't do it. This is crazy. Anyway, I had to meet up with the senior physician leader uh, just to uh, give my answer. And I still was wavering, although I was leaning a bit towards taking it. And uh, when we met again face to face, uh, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, I'm going to do it. And I can't believe I said it, <laughs> but I did. Uh, but the other experience around this that challenged my courage was we had a town hall and uh, our senior leadership was introducing all of us in our new roles. And the auditorium was filled with people, staff um, and others who wanted to hear what's happening, who's going to be our new bosses, who's going to take over the new leadership roles. And when it was announced that I was going to take on an acute care portfolio, uh, I had two or three people and one person in particular stand up and yell in this auditorium that I was abandoning them. These were public health people that I was betraying the work that I have done to date by and supporting them in their teams and so on. And uh, the individual fled out of the auditorium uh, uh, in tears, uh, I, you know, I, I was sh shaking because 
I didn't expect that. Uh, and I thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Uh, anyway, I proceeded to continue, obviously, into that role. Had to take every force uh, that I could mount to uh, walk through the hospital where I was assigned to for the first day. Uh, and I knew people were looking at me thinking, what is she doing here? What has she got to offer? Uh, I walked through emergency department and had one physician uh, look at me and, and actually mockingly <laughs> uh, say, have you ever seen an emergency bed before? Uh, and so on and so on and so forth. I'm going to say this physician leader became one of my closest colleagues and ally and advocate over the years. Uh, so it was interesting how things change and how you can demonstrate your credibility and your ability and so on in the face of, of this uh, challenge. So drawing on that courage meant having the inner strength uh, and the ability to keep going step by step, keep going and also having supportive people around you. What a powerful story about a situation where there was certainly a lot of challenge and definitely a lot of emotion involved as well. So just before we wrap today, what would you say healthcare professionals need to do to tap into their own innate courage? I believe uh, healthcare leaders need to tap into their, their own innate courage by really being clear about their own inner desires of motivation for what they wish to achieve. So for example, I have realized over the years, <laughs> uh, for me, the desire for creating something new or leading an initiative that had impact or trying something different was a great motivator or a bigger motivator than the concern for failure. And that the learning that takes place after each role or position that one takes in leadership actually becomes integral to our being. Like you don't lose that. So it builds another piece or another component of who you are and your strength and your ability and your skills. And it prepares you for the next role or decisions that need to be made. And I think the other is uh, having the ability and comfort to know that you can always ask for help. You can ask for additional support from those who know what may be needed or, or how they could actually provide something different for you to be strong. Uh, and then just drawing upon strong teams to support uh, is absolutely essential. Uh, if you do not have collaborative relationships, if you are not uh, well-respected because of who you are and your integrity and your principles, your teams are probably not as strong as they could be. Uh, so building the relationships everywhere you go with everybody and however, and building them up is absolutely going to support you to build and, and create your own innate courage. What amazing comments and ideas. Thanks so much, Carol, for being here. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today at Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare. Also, if you like what you heard, please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to get to know you on social media, so check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.